Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this at 12.15 a.m., 15 minutes after Easter, our first ever official Easter service in our home building, which was really cool. We, um, we've actually had two Easter services, but the first one was at the beginning of the pandemic, so it was all online. And the second one, uh, the uh, opera where we meet was working on some floors, so we actually did it in a park. So this was our first ever Easter service in our building, and I got to say it was awesome. Thank you so much to everybody who came out. It was great to see you. Uh, special shout out to my wife who planned a bunch of cool stuff for the kids. We had like kids stations out in front of the building. That was super fun. And it was just a really great day. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who is a part of what we're doing, whether or not you um, come in person or listen to this podcast. It just means so much to be building this community with you. You freaking rock. A couple announcements. First of all, we are doing a movie night on the 15th. Uh, If you want to sign up for that, go to diff.church and click on events. From there, you can buy a ticket to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's going to be a great time. Uh, We are building a really cool community who likes to hang out and do stuff together. So that's awesome. Go to diff.church. From there, click events. Come to the movie night. We took some Christmas. I need to go to bed. We took some Easter photos today at the service. Uh, I'm going to have those up on our social media account here in the next few days. So make sure you're following us at Diff Church on Instagram and Facebook.com slash Diff Church. I don't think there's much else going on. Uh, I loved the message today. It was a non-traditional Easter message, and I think you're going to love it too. So let's jump to Hannah. Wow, no response. This is going to go great, I can tell. <laughs> Did y'all know this is our first Easter here? So we've been here for two years, except the first Easter was at home. <laughs> the whole world was at home. Also, I was pregnant and, you know, puking my guts out. So um, it was great. It was so great. I like pre-recorded an Easter service. And at one point I was like, in the middle. And I was like, I just, I don't know. I had like almost a sneeze and I just kept going. It was a lie. I almost threw up. (laughs) (laughs) And last year they kicked us out of the building because they were going to replace the floor. And we were at the park downtown. This is our first Easter in our home. So it feels cool. Thanks for being here. Let's talk about Jesus. Woo. Okay, we've been traveling through the book of John for the last while, and we are going to wrap that up today. This is the end. No more John. Sad. Um, But don't worry. There's like the whole rest of the Bible, so we won't run out of stuff to talk about. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to pick up in chapter 21. This is after Jesus died and after he was resurrected. Okay, so we're not doing the typical Easter sermon. Everybody put your seatbelts on. Chapter 21, verse 1 says this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. I guess that meant something to them. It means nothing to us 2,000 years later, but Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> said the disciples. 
Same, same girl, same. So they all went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples could not see who he was. And he called out, fellows, what word? What word in Greek translates to fellows? I would like to know. Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And he said, well, you know, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped it off for work. He jumped into the water, headed to shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore. They were only a hundred yards away. Question. Why were they fishing? This all, Jesus had literally, like, vi, like, days ago, been murdered. And then, only a couple of days after that, resurrected. And they had seen him. And they were fishing. Fishing. Okay? Um, maybe it was a mystery for them, too, because, you know, Peter, he like, he's like a doer. You don't have any doers in the house. They just want to do stuff. Um, he proposes many things throughout the Bible, and not, they don't always work out. Like, he has um, good motivations, not always good judgment, like me, personally. And <laughs> he is like, okay, well, I mean, I guess Jesus, all this stuff happened, and we just have to, like, we had to do something. So what we are going to do is fishing. Um, this is the world the disciples knew, right? Some of them had literally been raised as fishermen on boats, so it felt familiar, felt comfortable to them. It probably felt pretty strange going back to fishing after hanging out with Jesus for several years um, and being a part of something so big, but they did need to feed themselves, and they knew how to fish. They knew the sea. They knew all the tricks, they knew how to cast their nets. They knew how to fish. And guess what? It didn't work. And like, you, you ever like do something, it's like the one thing in your life that you're an expert at, and then you try to do it and it does not work. Um, that would be like me getting up here and being like, <laughs> like, you know, I have some skills in my life, like there's a small set and this is one of them, like talking, talking. <laughs> I don't know, honestly, if talking is a skill. Sometimes I'm like, Bleh. but I can do this. I can't do like my taxes, but I can do this. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know how to fish. Peter wants to fish. Okay, let's fish. We got something to do. We know how to do that. We're going to be successful. And then all night, nothing. Not one fish did they catch for hours of fishing. And they're tired and they're frustrated. And just as the sun is coming up, they hear this voice from the shore saying, y'all caught anything? And they're like, no. <laughs> I have not. And he's like, oh, well, you know, what you have to do is just throw your net on the other side of the boat. Have we ever read this and like really read, like, have you stopped to consider the ridiculousness of that statement? Like, were they just on the boat like, oh, yeah, on the other side of the boat? Sure, dude. Like, <laughs> that's our problem is we didn't throw it on the right side of the boat. We literally haven't been doing this our whole lives and all night, but sure. So did they throw their, no their net on the other side of the boat? And then um, it turns out it was their problem. <laughs> so I'm sure they were very confused. Maybe they sarcastically threw it. It doesn't say that, but <laughs> subtext. They were just like, okay, we'll do it. And then they were like, oh, no, fish everywhere. And... <laughs> Um, in a flash, they were like, oh, I know who that is. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And Jesus stays on shore and waits for them to drag their massive, mind-blowing load of fish in. <laughs> and Peter is like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, 
Or maybe he was like, oh my Jesus, it's Jesus. <laughs> he jumps into the water and swims to shore. And he's like, I don't care about you guys. You and your millions of fish, you deal with that. I am swimming to Jesus. And okay, like what a story. Why? Because Jesus had actually appeared to them before. All of these people, all these disciples had seen Jesus. They were all hiding in a room all together after Jesus was murdered and after he was resurrected because they were all scared that they were going to get arrested, which is a valid fear that something would happen to them that had happened to Jesus. So they're all hiding and Jesus just like pops through the wall <laughs> and was like, hey, and they were like, oh no, oh yes, um, this is weird. And Jesus was like, hey, I have a job for you to do. And they were like, oh, cool, 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 cool. And the job was this. Work for me. Be filled with God's spirit. Go out in the world, just like I did, and just like you did when we were together. This is your job now. Go do it. Well, they clearly didn't know how to do it, so they are aimlessly fishing in the middle of the night <laughs> instead. And oh, we, do, we never do this, right? We're never like, oh, I have that thing, that new thing that I want to start that seems hard. So I'm going to go back to what's familiar and safe. Um, but then what happens when the thing that works, that always works, that we know works because we've done it a hundred times, doesn't work? They worked all night and brought in nothing, not one fish. And they can't go back to fishing. That life is not for them anymore. They have to take what Jesus said to heart and set off on this new adventure. So they get to shore. Verse 9 says, they get to shore, they find breakfast waiting for them. Yes. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard. Now he's helpful. Dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish. The net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, <laughs> Jesus said. John, the writer of John, sprinkles like all these little things throughout the book that are very meaningful if you just pay attention to them. So here Jesus is cooking fish over a charcoal fire. I just want you to hold that in your mind for a moment because we're going to come back to it. They have caught 153 fish. There's like five of them. There's no refrigeration. What are you going to do with that many fish? <laughs> That's enough fish to feed the entire village. And interesting little exchange, Jesus is already cooking fish and bread on a fire. He doesn't even need their fish, but he gave them fish to catch anyways. How easy is it for people of faith to be like, we have to do it all? God, I feel like we imagine God sometimes just like passively being like, well, if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. So go do it. Now, to be clear, there is a ton of room for meaningful work in God's world, right? If there wasn't, what are we doing here? This is a waste of time. So I, I mean, hopefully we're not wasting our time. There is a ton of room for our participation. But whose hands make the sunrise every day? Whose breath makes us think and pray and love and hope every moment of our lives. Who is the Lord of the world? Who owns cattle on a thousand hills? What's the modern equivalent of that? Who owns the Bitcoin? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Do any of y'all own cattle on hills? This is Florida. There's no hills. And we don't have any cattle. If you own cattle, come find me after church. <laughs> Jesus is like, yes, bring some of your fish. I don't need it, but bring it. We'll, we'll make even more. And Jesus is just doing what he does best taking care of people, taking care of his friends. Okay, back to the charcoal fire. The last time, there are multiple charcoal fires 
that have to be put out. <laughs> in the book of John, the last time we encounter a charcoal fire is in John chapter 18, where Peter insists loudly and emphatically to anyone who will listen to him that he will remain loyal to Jesus no matter what, and then promptly denies him three times. And I want to share a portion of this story with you because it is going to bring us back to Jesus on the beach. Nothing in John happens by accident. So this after Jesus has been arrested, after Peter chops a guy's ear, ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is like, back on his head, everything's fine. <laughs> Except for me, everything won't be fine for me. Um, <laughs> so this after that, Jesus has been arrested, taken to the temple. It says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another one of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the courtyard. Peter had to stay outside the gate. But then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman guarding the gate, and she let Peter in, and she said, you're not one of those men's disciples, are you? And he said, no, I'm not. No, no, no. Because it was cold, the household servants and guards were warming themselves around a charcoal fire. And Peter stood with them, warming himself. And inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching him. Them. And meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, no, not I. But then one of the household slaves of the priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had chopped off, was like, but didn't I see you in the garden? I know it was dark, but you look familiar. I think I would remember someone chopping off my cousin's ear. And again, Peter denied it. And immediately a rooster crowed. Now, this is quite a scene, right? Because Jesus is telling the high priest the truth, and Peter is telling lies. Jesus is speaking openly, which will lead him to death. Peter is doing his best to hide, which will actually save his life. And we can scoff at Peter, like, how dare Peter? Okay, at least he was there. Unlike everyone else who scattered to the wind immediately, except for this one other disciple, so he and one other person, none of the other disciples know what's happening. They don't have text messages. That, like, they have no idea what's happening to Jesus, and they're too afraid to get close and find out. And Peter has come for all the right reasons. He's come because he is faithful and loyal, and he cares so much for his friend, but he never understood more than half of what Jesus was saying, and that's going to let him down because he's cold and tired, and the adrenaline that led him to like attack someone only a few hours before is gone. He knows if he's spotted and identified as a follower of Jesus, he will face, and, and, mind you, the person who chopped off someone's ear, the high priest servant, no less, not some random person, not that, you know, random people should have their ears chopped off, but like a very important person got their ear chopped off. He will face the same fate as Jesus. And all those thoughts come together, right? And what do we have left? Panic and lies. And John tells the story very simply because some of the other gospels get more dramatic with it. They're like, the rooster crows, Peter goes out and bursts into tears. Or instead of saying, no, I'm not one of his disciples, they're like, one of the other gospels has Peter like cursing. Like, no, <laughs> insert bad words. I am not. There's children in here, so you know. Y'all know, you're adults. <laughs> John tells the story very simply, but like 
we've been living in Peter's skin for a couple of minutes now, right? Can you feel what he might have been feeling? The dread and the fear and the shame, like how heartbreaking to be so near to your dear friend as he is abused and interrogated and beaten. How terrifying to want to support someone you love so much while being afraid in your bones of dying. How hopeless to know there's nothing you can do, not in this moment or any other moment, to prevent this from happening, that you're powerless. How much shame to be so dedicated to Jesus that you actually follow him when everyone else runs away. You get as close as you possibly can, but then when you open your mouth, that nauseating taste of fear takes over, and you're like, no, 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 no. I don't know him. Is that not the definition of trauma? Is that not the definition of horror and pain? Like, every detail of this moment would have been burned in Peter's memory forever. Like, the sights, the sounds, the words spoken, the words he didn't speak, and the smells. Because Peter denied Jesus by a charcoal fire. Charcoal has a very distinctive smell. I take a walk with my baby all the time, and every once in a while, I'm like, somebody's cooking. <laughs> Not me. We're eating peanut butter, but... <laughs> Like, it's a very distinctive smell. And now for Peter, the worst night of his life is going to be imprinted on his brain. Every time he sees or smells a charcoal fire, it's going to take him right back there to that place of sadness and loss and disappointment and fear. But then we see Jesus on the beach cooking over a charcoal fire. There is no doubt it reminds Peter of that night. And there's no doubt Jesus knows what Peter did. Why? What, who cares if it's a charcoal fire? Why? Because it's going to bring out all the grief and all the pain, right? It's going to, if it comes out, the wound in Peter can be healed and maybe also the one in Jesus. I know we're like, well, Jesus, we can tend to think, maybe we don't actually actively think this, but like, this is kind of the process. Well, Jesus is going to die anyways, so he, like, it had to happen. Like, Peter had to deny him because that's just what he said would happen. How would you like it if on the worst night of your life your best friend was like, nope, or your partner, or your kids, or someone you love deeply? So after breakfast in chapter 21, Jesus and Peter take a walk on the beach, and they have this conversation. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Okay, this is where I want us to land. Imagine Peter, like we were, we were imagining Peter in the temple, like all this darkness, right? Now imagine him now on the beach near Jesus, the person he thought was dead and gone forever, mind you, the person he thought like my last interaction 
with this person is him knowing that I didn't, I didn't do what I said I would do. He's full of nervous anxiety, I'm sure. And also like uncontrollable joy. Like Jesus is here, like next to me, in the flesh. I can sit next to him. And he knew it was Jesus and he was so excited that he jumped off the boat and swam to shore. He's like dripping wet. It's probably freezing because it's only a few days after they said it was cold and they were warming themselves by the fire. So he's probably freezing. He just wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible. Spend every second he could with him. One remarkable thing about this interchange between Jesus and Peter is that in forgiving him, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. When Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus doesn't say, okay, forgiven, got it, it's all right. He says, well then, feed my lambs, look after my sheep, feed my sheep. Three questions, why? to correspond to Peter's three denials. Three for a reminder, three for completeness, three for every time Peter couldn't do it, now he has an opportunity to do it. Peter's night of pain is forgiven because of Jesus' night of pain. Y'all can come back up here. Come on. Jesus takes Peter away from all the other people. They're walking on the beach. And it says the beloved disciples following them at a distance. Probably John, the writer. Probably because he can't bear to let Jesus out of his sight. And so he's hearing this interchange. And they're walking slowly along the shore. And Jesus asks the question, this one question, Peter, do you love me? Not, these are not the questions he asked, do you regret what you did? Are you sorry you denied me? How, not, how could you do that after promising you'd never do such a thing? None of those questions. None of the questions we want to ask when someone hurts us. Instead, just one simple question that goes right to the heart of the matter. And I think maybe we would do well <laughs> if this were the question we were asking when we hurt each other. Do you love me? Because what's the subtext of that? Even though this happened, did it change our relationship? Or was that just a mistake and we're still really on the same team? And the answer Peter gives every time is not, he doesn't get like a pat on the back, like, oh, Peter, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Instead, he gets a, a challenge, a commission. Okay, Peter, if you love me, then it's time to learn how to be a shepherd and feed my sheep. Why is that important? Because who is the good shepherd? Jesus. So he's sharing. He's not only trusting Peter to get back to meaningful work that matters instead of just fishing, which he apparently can't do anymore. He's sharing his own work and his own purpose with Peter. Jesus is the good shepherd. Now Peter is going to share in this task. Even though Peter made a mistake, even though they both went through that trauma, even though Peter doesn't think he's good enough for anything anymore, let alone to do anything for Jesus, he might as well just go back to fishing. All of that and all Jesus wanted to know was if Peter loved him. Because if the answer is yes, I do love you, 
then Peter's going to be given even more responsibility, not less. Even with all that had happened. It wasn't like, oh, before you did that, you were going to be the founder of my church. We were going to call you Peter the Rock. But now that's off the table. You're going to have to prove yourself before you can, like, you know, get to that level again. No. He's like, but if you still love me, then here's even more responsibility. Here's even more meaningful work to do. Because if you love me, that's all I need to know. And that's what it looks like to repair a relationship, isn't it? Not ignoring the problem, not ignoring our pain, not just carrying on as though nothing had happened or being passive aggressive and punishing someone else and being like, I forgive you, and then we didn't. But bringing it all out, all the fear and all the disappointment and all the hurt and finding what is underneath, which is love. So no matter where your life has taken you, no matter what your relationship with God looks like right now, the secret of everything is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as there's a little bit of love left. Because with love, it is always possible to move forward. With love, it is always possible to move forward. 